So good to be with you this morning, to have this opportunity to worship our God and to study from his word with you this morning. I'm certainly uplifted and encouraged by you and your reverence for God today and look forward to our time to worship him continually here as we study from his word. I want to begin this morning with uh, asking you to build a picture in your mind, a scene if you will. And maybe it's a common scene that maybe you've seen in a movie before or a television show uh, before. And the scene is this, some high-ranking official, maybe the president of the United States, maybe a general in the army, somebody really, really important is sitting at a desk and someone comes into his office and he has an envelope. And he takes that envelope and he sets it in front of the president or he sets it in front of the general. And on that envelope, it says, for your eyes only, top secret. Now, we've seen a scene like that. And if you haven't seen that in a movie or in a television show, certainly it is something that you can draw in your own mind, right? And it is a concept that we understand that this is put in front of this really important person and and it's intended for no one else to see but them. It is for their eyes only. It is only them that is allowed to open it. It is only them that is allowed to take that document out and to read it and to probably place it back into that envelope. It is a concept that each and every one of us here this morning understands that we grasp. I want to take that concept that we see and that we understand, that we know, I want to take that concept, I want to spring off of that this morning, and I want us to think about that same idea, but expand that a little bit. Not to a document that someone is to read, but our life that we live. Who are we looking to impress? Who are we looking to please in the life that we lead? I want us to understand this morning that this same concept on this document that we pass to the president or we pass to an important official should be the same way that as a Christian we live every single, not day, but second that we live. To live a life for God's eyes only. And I want us to understand that this is a difficult concept for us. It's a difficult concept for us because we live in a culture, and I'm not going to say our necessarily, because I think it's been this way maybe for all of time, where man is interested usually in a life that is pleasing, number one, to themselves. That I want to live a life where I am pleased personally. I want to do the things that I want to do that make me happy. I want to go to the places that I want to go to. I want to say the things that I want to say. I want to do things that please me. Usually that's number one. But also, we live a life where we like to be pleasing to the people around us. That's what makes the temptation that we often talk about with the young people, peer pressure, so prominent. Because we like to be pleasing to the people around us. 
I don't want to offend, or I don't want to bother, or I don't want to make waves, or I don't want to stand out, or I don't want to cause trouble, or I don't want anyone to be mad at me, or upset with me, or bother me. And so I'm going to live a life that is pleasing to others. Now, those two things are contrary to this idea that we have on the screen. Think about the passage that Matt just read for us from Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It's a short little story, a quip pulled out of that passage. But as you read that and as you think about it, was anybody bothered by that? You see, he makes the point that there is a city, a small city, with just a a few people in it, and a king, a great king, comes up and besieges it. But an old, poor, wise man, unnamed, through his wisdom, saves this small city. But what's the end of that story? And his name is etched forever in history, And they erected a statue commemorating his feats at the gates of the city. Nope, it doesn't say that. No one remembers this guy. Now, when you read that, were you you bothered by that? Did you say, well, that, that, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem like it should be or the way that it should be. When we think those kinds of things, instinctually sometimes, it is because we're tempted to live a life pleasing to ourselves, or we're tempted to live a life pleasing to man. And this morning for a few minutes, I want to try to break us of that. That for the Christian, the simplicity that we should be thinking, is I live a life as if only God is watching me. And that is my thought process. And that is my concern. And that is the way that I think. And it is the way that I act. And it is the way that I speak. And it is the way that I move. It's the way that I operate. It's the relationships that I have. I'm doing all of those things as if only God is watching. Paul will make the point in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, kind of at the end of that text where he talks about all of the, the, the old man things that we need to put off and all of the new man things that we need to put on. And he gets there to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 and he makes this grand statement. Whatever you do, whatever you do in word, all of the words, Whatever you do, indeed, all of the actions, you do in the name of the Lord. That's a big statement, isn't it? It's a big statement. So our question then becomes, is it even possible to live that way? Let me give you an example of what that looks like. Look at the book of Acts in Acts chapter 4 this morning. In Acts chapter 4, when we start to think, is it even possible to live this kind of life? In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are preaching Jesus and they're arrested for that. They're commanded in Acts chapter 4, 
Not, not to do that anymore. You're not to be preaching Jesus anymore. If you do, there's going to be bigger problems for you. And so you have in chapter 4 and verse 18 that command. So they called them, that's Peter and John, and commanded them to not speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Look to see how they answer that, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so the point that Peter is making here is we, we don't answer to you. We, we're not living for you. We're not looking to please you. We're not looking for what you see. We are only concerned about what God sees, about what God thinks. And what God thinks and what God says is we should be preaching Jesus. And so as this context continues, they pray for boldness. With the saints, it certainly is delivered to them by God, and they continually preach. In Acts chapter 5, guess what? Just as they were promised, they were arrested again, but this time miraculously freed from prison. And in Acts chapter 5 now, in verse 28, they are again facing the people that have arrested them, and they, they say, listen, did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. And verse 29 says, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we, we ought to obey God rather than man. You see, that is the life that we're talking about here. Where you have these men, they weren't interested in what these others were thinking. They were interested in what God was thinking. And God said, you preach Christ. And even though these men were saying, you don't preach Christ, doesn't matter what they were saying. You preach Christ. That's what God says. And so they were living for God's eyes only. You see, when we begin to think about this, and if it is even possible, we run across now God's expectations for us. We have passages like 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, that incredible passage about how special we are, that we are unique, that we are special to God, that we are his special people. And that we are called upon, we are called upon to live a life, live a life of praise, live a life of worship. Why? Because he has called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. And so it is a life of praise, it is a life of worship. Let's talk about those two words for a second. We think about that idea, that word that we see even in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, this idea of praise, just by way of definition, you have something like this, an expression of admiration for someone or something to glorify. Now, very similar to that is the idea of worship. And by definition, it is to show reverence or adoration for a deity, to honor 
Now, I want us to think about those two things. And a lot of times when we think about these two things, we, we think about a situation like we're in right now, right? Collectively, that we are here together, almost 400 of us, right? We are here together and we are praising God this morning together. And absolutely we are. Absolutely we have done that. And we'll continue to do that. We are here to worship God together. Absolutely that's what we are doing. But when we only close our minds to the idea of praise and worship, to this moment collectively, we're losing sight of for God's eyes only. Because when we live a life for God's eyes only, I'm living a life of praise and worship. That each and every day I'm looking and I'm searching and I'm finding opportunities to praise and to worship, to lift up God. Now, in the things that I say, in the things that I do, such as we saw in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. It's not necessarily just something that we do, worship service. It's who we are. I am someone who praises God. When? All the time. Several of you I know have been in our Daniel Revelation class, and just a few weeks ago we were talking about the passage there in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 where the throne room of God is unveiled there for John to see. And this made mention that the ones who are surrounding the throne, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, they are praising and worshiping God. And John makes the point of what he sees is he says that they are praising and worshiping God day and night without rest, he adds. That's what's occurring there in heaven. But that can be how we lay our life in line here. Of thinking those kinds of ways. Now what I want us to begin to consider is that this isn't just a good idea or or something that God would prefer. I want you to understand that for Christ's disciples such as what most of us would claim to be, it is the life that God demands of us. And that's one of the big points I want to make this morning. Look to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, and the great Sermon on the Mount that we'll reference often in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, as Jesus has gathered a multitude on on the edge of a mountain, And he is speaking to them, and he's talking to them specifically about certainly his kingdom and and those that were to be a part of his kingdom, his disciples, his followers. And he talks about attitudes and deeds and things that they need to be thinking about, that if you are to be a follower of mine, a citizen of my kingdom, a disciple of mine, these are things that you will employ. Think about these three examples given to us right back to back to back. Repetition for sure. But think about the simple point that Jesus is trying to 
hammer home. Not just a tall sin here. He is hammering the same point. One after the other after the other. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Look at verse 5 now. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Drop down a few verses to verse 16 now, that same chapter. Moreover, when you fast... Do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, and that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your feet, so that you do not appear to be to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, there are three different things talked about here. Charitable deeds, prayer, fasting, three different things talked about. But did you notice the similarity? One lesson. Three different ways, one lesson. There's a phrase that ties all of them together. Don't think about doing these kinds of things to be seen by men. That's how the world operates. But you're a follower of mine. You you are living for God's eyes only. And where does he see? Did you notice? The secret place. You go into the secret place. So secret that you don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when it comes to the charitable deeds. When you pray, you, you go into your room. And what did he say? Shut, shut your door. God's in there. He sees in the secret place. When you're fasting, no one needs to know that. No one needs to know that. Wash your face. Clean yourself up. Make it so that no one knows. But God will. Why? Because he sees in the secret place. You see, it's not just a good way for us to be living. It is commanded to live this way. It's a quick application, and then we'll make some specific applications as we close. Think about big picture now, big picture applications. How often during our day are we thinking about God? How often in my day am I thinking about God? Am I thinking about him in the decisions that I make, in the places that I go, in the words that I use? 
Or am I finding myself really thinking about God most oftenly in atmospheres such as this? Sunday morning, we are all here dressed very nicely. We're singing praises to God together, and we are focused very much upon God here in this place. And, and rightly so, we need to be. But you really need to examine of how focused you are on God not here. How focused are you on God at work? How focused are you on God at school? Or how worried are you about what your coworkers may think? Or what your fellow students may think? How concerned am I about what others around me are thinking in comparison to the concern that I have with what God is thinking? You see, God is laying out a simple way to live, not a complicated way. We complicate it. It's much more complicated to concern myself with myself or certainly more complicated to concern myself with trying to figure out what everybody around me wants or thinks or, or is, is concerned with. But God says, don't, don't think about any of those things. You just concern yourself with what I think. And there is not another step. It's only that step. It's not a complicated way to live. It's not a, it's not a difficult way to live. It is the simple way, the easy way that God has given us. Only concern yourself with what I think. And so the easy examination is to be considering of that. How much consideration do I give God on a daily basis? So let's talk about a few specifics this morning. Oftentimes we think about in Scripture that God gives us a lot of do nots, right? And there are. There are a lot of things that God wants us to steer away from for sure. We think about passage even like Proverbs chapter 6 where we get a whole list of things that God hates and those things we need to stay away from for sure. But remember we're talking about this morning praising him, glorifying him, worshiping him, being pleasing to him. And so I want us to think about those kinds of things. What are some of the things that I can fill my life up with that I know, based upon what he has told us, pleases him? So that's the word we're looking for this morning. Something that God says directly he is pleased with. And when I see things like that, I'm filling my life with those things. So here are a few examples this morning. The first is... Faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, and that incredible passage on faith, and, and there's a, a, a litany of people, men and women, who exhibited incredible amounts of faith in their lives as they lived for God. But in the midst of that chapter, in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11, you get that, that verse kind of there in the, uh, the outset of the list. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. What a simple statement that is. Can you, is there anyone that doesn't understand that? Everybody, everybody should understand that. 
Everybody, child, adult, everybody should understand a statement like that. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so what that tells me is it tells me a passage like that is I've got to fill my life up with faith. I've got to believe in him. That's another part of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. That if you want to have a relationship with him, if you want to come to him, you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But I've got to believe in him and who he is, but I also must believe in what he says. Faith is the very foundation of who I am as a follower of God. That's why you have Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 painting the picture of a, of a follower of God who is growing, who is maturing, who is excelling. That's what I want to be. I want to be doing those things. I want to be growing. I want to be maturing. I want to be excelling as a follower of God. That's what I want. And so Peter paints that picture for us in 2 Peter chapter 1. And he says all of these things are built upon what? The base, the foundation of faith. You add to your faith. Give all diligence to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. You build all of these things upon that foundation of faith. So if I'm looking to be pleasing to God, if I'm living my life for him, I'm working on my faith. It is our everything as a Christian. Building that faith. Let me tell you, the easiest way to do that, pray to God for it. The apostles do that. Jesus has a difficult statement about forgiveness that he tells them about how often and how willing they should be to forgive. And they look to Jesus and they say, Lord, increase our faith. Are we beyond a prayer like that each and every day? I hope not. Lord, increase my faith. Secondly, you make sure you are spiritually minded. Your focus is where it needs to be. Look at the book of Romans with me. In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to these brethren, he's writing specifically, and listen to the contrast that he paints here. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 6, he he says, For to be carnally minded, that is fleshly minded or worldly minded, to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot, listen, here's our word, please God. He says, listen, if you're going to have a fleshly, a worldly mind, you cannot please God. He's, he pushes that away. That kind of mind is enmity with God. It is death. We must live a life that is spiritually minded. It is a contrast of two mindsets. And so for us this morning, which of those two minds describes you best? 
You need to answer that this morning. Everyone here needs to answer that this morning. These are the two options, spiritually mind, carnal mind. Every single one of us here has one of those two mindsets. And you need to find out and examine yourself honestly this morning to see which one is you. Carnal mind leads to death. Spiritual mind leads to life and peace. Fill your life up with those kinds of things. Thirdly, fearing God. Fearing God. In Psalm 147, I'll give you just a slight little preview and set up for this evening. Hopefully you can be back with us at 5 o'clock this evening as we worship God collectively again together. John and I are going to spend some time in this section of the book of Psalms, specifically the very end of the book. Psalm 146, 47, 148, 149, and 150, all very similar All praise God psalms. Hopefully you can be back with us. And one of those, Psalm 147 and verse 11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. It's not that God delights in us being terrified of him, but having a respect for him. It's what allows us to rely on him, to revere him in a lot of ways. It's what allows us to do that. Fourthly, God is pleased when we obey him or we do his will. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we won't turn over there, but in 1 Samuel chapter 15, it is a story of Saul and the Amalekites. And God gave Saul something very specific to do. And Saul, in his mind, does most of that. And he says, basically, I've done most of that. That should be good. 80%, 90%, 95% even is what I have done. What does God tell him? I'm not interested in most. I'm interested in obedience. Obedience is the key. Obedience is even better than sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 13, and towards the very end of this book, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, It says, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. Listen to this line. Working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. That's what I want. I want God to be looking at me and being pleased with what he sees. And finally, we'll stay right here in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. What pleases him? Sacrifice. What does that sacrifice look like? Worship, praise, glorification to him. In that same chapter in Hebrews chapter 13, in verse backing up a little bit, verse 15, it says, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. Listen, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. What a beautiful line that is. He is well pleased. With what? With the praise that we offer. With the worship that we give. 
And so we see a list like this, and we're thinking about the life that we live, and we're thinking, how is it? How is it that I can mold my life into one that is for God's eyes only? The best and easiest way to begin that today is to start filling our lives up with these kinds of things because these kinds of things are pleasing to God. You see, he wants all of our heart. He wants all of our love. Jesus makes that point in Matthew chapter 22 when he's asked about the, you know, the greatest command. And what does he say? Love God with all, all of your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love God with your all. And so for us this morning as we close, how are we doing with that? It is a massive thing to think about because it is life-altering kinds of things, life-altering kinds of mindsets, but a mindset that is demanded of us from God. Each and every day, each and every second of each and every day, I'm living a life as if it is only God watching. Is it possible? Absolutely it's possible. It's something that God has asked us. We paint a picture as if that is just so impossible or difficult, but hopefully this morning you've come to the realization that it is the simple approach. It is the easy way. I encourage each and every you as I work on it myself to make sure my life is molded to that. And this morning, this afternoon, this week, I would encourage you to meditate upon those things, to make sure you are pleasing to God in all that you do, and that your mindset is where it needs to be. And I thank you, I thank each and every one of you for listening this morning, to studying along, praising God, worshiping Him as we have together. Marcus is going to lead us in a song of invitation. It gives us an opportunity to continue to think about that, to make sure our relationship with God is where it needs to be. And maybe this morning your relationship isn't where it needs to be, that it is your sin that separates you from him. And you know that through the waters of baptism that sin can be washed away. You know that through confession and repentance, forgiveness is there. Maybe we can help you in some way this morning. If we can, you let us know as we stand and as we sing.